So this is the new normal with with Ryan Hogarth, and I was given the opportunity to have a conversation with Ricardo Spagni, who, if you have anything to do with blockchain and crypto, you've heard of him. Um, if, that's, if that's your thing, you know who he is. He's very involved in that space and has been since for longer, for as long as most people wish they'd been involved in crypto. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think the first time I mentioned blockchain and Bitcoin in a, in a presentation was 2012. And if I'd understood anything about it at that time, I would have bought and and uh, been been wealthy. But now I'm not. But anyway, so 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 Ricardo is a very interesting person, and and as I said, involved in blockchain and crypto. But um, I think our conversation is not going to focus too much on that because I think there's a lot more around that that I'm interested in. So first of all, Ricardo, hello, welcome, and thanks for taking time out. I know you live in Plett, so you're in Joburg very briefly and made some time available to chat with me so thank you very much thanks very much for having me yeah so so you i guess are are a proper uh well i like to we should avoid the labels and whatever but you're right in that sort of young millennial space that the, the, you know when everyone talks about these people kind of changing the world you've grown up in a digital world yeah so i think ricardo let's start off just briefly how did you get involved with what you're doing and where are you now and then we'll get into other stuff Cool. So <clears throat> I started off as a developer, uh, worked my way up to what sort of developing software developer, um, like, like on so initially, initially I worked with uh, Delphi a lot okay. and then uh, worked with Microsoft C sharp okay. and in between dabbled, um, and were you making a living doing this? Was yes. This yeah. This was my job. Salaried employee. Salaried employee. Okay. And, and I always had a side hustle like, yes. you know, it was, it was always like, well, this is what I do to pay the bills. And then this is the, ne the next big thing that I'm doing. Um, and uh, eventually worked my way up to quite a senior position um, at a listed company um, and did that for about two years and got very frustrated with the amount of red tape. With the way we treated our employees, I felt that there was a misalignment of incentives where we were so focused on shareholders that mm. we forgot about like how to treat our people properly. And that frustrated me no end. I, I just felt like I couldn't get things done. And so, um, under the encouragement of my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, um, I quit to start an import-export business because I knew nothing about import-exports, so it made sense to do that. <laughs> yeah. uh, so somehow managed to get to, to make that successful. I built all the back-end systems for it, which I think helped because <clears throat> when you have something where you have a reasonably good product line, but maybe not the best product line, mm. but your systems are just so slick, and integrating into all the buyer systems is just easy mm. then you have a better experience for all of the the distributors and resellers and retailers than anyone else so they don't care if your product is even subpar they're buying from you because just like it's easy for them mm. and so we managed to turn that into a successful business um, and that freed up freed me up a lot and I was then able to think about you know what I wanted to do next another side hustle yeah you know that's <laughs> it it was like what's what's my next side mm. hustle I wasn't mm. content with like Ricardo, the guy who does import export. Mm. I wanted to be Ricardo, the guy that starts and builds. Well, what was the what what was the thing for you? I mean, because uh, I mean, I see on on Twitter you call yourself the serial entrepreneur, like the breakfast cereal. But I mean, um, <laughs> uh, but but what's the drive? Was it was it to become fabulously wealthy, fabulously famous, uh, change the world? Was there was there anything noble in it at all, or was it just? Just the interest in doing stuff. I think so. You know, I've never really been focused on wealth and mm. and on um, 
on anything like that. I I enjoy problem solving, and I enjoy building stuff. Um, but I have a there's this part of me that just loves meeting people mm. and engaging with people. Um, so m one of my early jobs was uh, when I was sort of still in school and so on. I worked as a waiter, and I loved that. And I was saying to my wife the other day that if everything fell apart and I had to go back and like work as a waiter I'd love it because I just love that constant like every day is a new thing mm. there's this constant influx of new people so I think that that from that perspective it's um, just having new challenges and and ever moving targets really uh, like feeds me um, but then building things also yes. you know I've I've been playing with Lego for my entire life okay and like you know I'm mid 30s now and I still feel like I'm playing with Lego just with bigger blocks mm. so okay so you're 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 36 you're well okay let's go back to 2012 that was about the time you got involved in but early, 20, was early 2011 was when 2011, I really, okay. yeah, when I really started getting involved okay and and Bitcoin was worth what then less than a dollar probably I you know like it was it, it was such a weird concept to even think about buying it um, <laughs> because the you know you could mine it relatively trivially yes and there were like uh, there were um, all sorts of faucets where you could go and just be like uh, yeah I, I, you know I, I hit the button and then it mm. gives me 0 0.13 Bitcoin out of the faucet <laughs> you know which today is worth a significant <laughs> amount of money so there was acquiring Bitcoin didn't re didn't require like signing up on an exchange yes. or anything but why did you get involved? What what was the interest in it? So the initial interest, I read a Slashdot article and it was about this Google engineer that was building a Java-based um, Bitcoin library. And I was like, well, what's a Bitcoin? Mm. I mean, I'd like peripherally read about it, but I, w I hadn't really paid attention. And I did a bit of digging because um, the Java engine, I mean, the Google engineer was very well respected. Uh, a guy called Mike Hearn. And, uh, you know, on a technical level, I was like, if he finds it interesting, maybe I should find it interesting mm. too. So I did a bit of digging and I was like, well, you know, there's a bunch of security claims that are made as to um, how this thing behaves in a decentralized environment and how it can't be gamed and it mm. can't be um, shut down and so on. And I didn't believe those claims. I Partly due to a misunderstanding of the consensus mechanism mm. of Nakamoto consensus, but mostly just because I'm a natural skeptic. So I was like, haha, yes, okay. Yeah, but also, I mean, when you're talking technology and someone says that, you know, it's unbreak, you're like, sure. Okay. Yeah. It just seems it just seems like absolutely it does, <laughs> yeah. and so so that was the thing that drove me initially was I was like I I can break this thing mm. I'm you know I mean like I I, f I tend to gravitate towards finding flaws in systems mm. um, it's an it's just a natural part of my thinking process I poke holes in things and so when I first read the white paper I was like nah there's you know there's definitely something I can do here and so I set about trying to find ways of. Um, running a bunch of nodes and Sybil attacking mm. the network um, and and really just just set my mind to breaking Bitcoin mm. and in that process in that learning about Bitcoin and digging through the code and trying to figure out like this is how the wire protocol works this is how everything this is how the, the chain selection um, algorithm works in that process I learned so much about the inner workings of the consensus mechanism mm. and about the delicate balance of incentives and that sort of really catapulted my interest in Bitcoin. So, okay, so that's 2011. Now we're <clears throat> 2018, seven years later. 
Um, uh, to say that Bitcoin and blockchain has matured is probably a massive overstatement, but it's certainly it's come a long way and it's, it's, it's certainly come into the public consciousness and, and nobody understands it. Well, there's very few people that understand it. <laughs> well, you're um, not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what is what is your view of the of the the long term impact of blockchain on the world in general? Without without getting, I mean, because this is this is itself a three hour conversation. <laughs> but but just as simple as possible, what is your view of blockchain's relevance and impact in the world in the coming five, ten, twenty years? Sure. So I think we're in a weird space right now. Um, mm. I feel very much like um, there's people have identified a money making opportunity, and mm. so we're attracting the wrong sort of people absolutely um, 90 I would say a good 95 to 98 percent of the people that are entering the space are entering the space because they think it's gonna make them fabulously wealthy mm. there is a small sliver of people that have entered the space and are entering the space who are interested in building cool stuff mm. and in building stuff that might potentially change the world and and those are the people that I try focus on those are the people that I find interesting um, you know people are in it uh, like they're scammers or they're they're in it for the money grab um, maybe they don't even acknowledge within themselves that that's really why they're mm. doing it but they're outmoded and outclassed in from a technical perspective and it's clear in terms of you know what they're building they're taking shortcuts left right and center and I think that we're going to at some point get past that mm. we're going to work out work those people out the system and then we're going to have a much larger portion of people who are building cool stuff mm. And then the potential becomes massive because just by uh, by having systems where money has has been created or wealth has been created, and it has already been applied to researchers who otherwise would have had to apply for grants and so on, now they're able to apply their mind to all sorts of interesting problems because they're getting paid. Mm. That is fascinating because it hasn't existed previously. Open source software developers have struggled um, previously yeah. to to get paid. And now suddenly it's like, well, you know, we want to pay you to come work on this open source piece of software. And there's all this peripheral stuff you'll need to build that is maybe not directly related to it. And that becomes really interesting. So I think that there's going to be a almost a trickle-down effect from a technical perspective where people are working on libraries and, and parts of the ecosystem which aren't directly related to cryptocurrency but have but bring the open source world up in general yeah well i think that's i mean my interest in blockchain or my fascination with it is is is, is what it means to the world beyond crypto because there are there are massive so so in your view i mean have we is it have we come far enough that there's no going back i mean there there never again be a world without the blockchain yeah definitely i think that it's um it's become an unstoppable force mm. you know that's there's no doubt about that as to as to what that impact actually looks like in four or five decades time i don't know yes you know i think that there's that once we wash all of the 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 muck out the system then maybe we realize that blockchain's only really good for currency and mm. one or two other things and that's okay the the fact of the matter is that that a blockchain based reserved currency for the world is i think an eventuality i think it's it's at this point in time we're too far down the road and and the systems are maturing rapidly and there's just there's no amount of regulation or disinterest or anything like that that's going to change the fact that a censorship resistant tamper resistant blockchain based system 
is ideally suited for the world's reserve currency, mm. far more so than the U.S. dollar. That's going to be that's that's a very interesting view and a very a, and I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to picture what the world looks like when 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 that is the case. And it is hard because it, you know, I guess it's well, it's like the internet, isn't it? Try, talk about the impact of the internet 25 years ago. Yeah, uh, you can't. Uh, uh, just, just not enough frame of reference to yeah. understand how it's going to, how it can impact and, and yeah. evolve. And, and it's true. I mean, if you, you know, the mid '90s, when when you thought about the internet, no one was thinking about wireless. No. Everyone was like, well, you know, the internet is cable mo- a modem that has a cable that plugs into it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and so your frame of reference was that. Yes. And so our frame of reference right now is very much like these are how blockchain systems fit together. Mm. But you know, you fast forward 20, 30 years mm. and. That thinking is going to change. Okay, so let's move. Let's move beyond this. Uh, you, why, what I'm, you are. So, so you're a person who's 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 made a living, built businesses in, explored. In a digital world, in a, in a, and 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 I think we are still at the very beginning of, the digital revolution. But but you're, uh, someone who's someone who's built businesses not in the traditional sense. Of, uh, but what is your education, by the way? Are you so a BCom informatics and logistics? Oh, okay, so you are you are you are properly <laughs> classically educated. Let's say that. <laughs> um, so, what is your what is your view of the world? I mean, are you are you positive that the world's moving? There are problems. We understand that, but but overall, are you like the world's in a good place? We're gonna it's gonna get better, or are you like we're pretty much all screwed and. <laughs> Look, I think I think that the, you're right. There are problems. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, I I think that for a lot of those problems, we probably don't have the solution. You know, I think that we've tried, for example, many different forms of governance. None of them have worked. Mm. You know, they've all been failures to a greater or lesser degree. So maybe what we have right now is the lesser degree, and mm. and I think that's okay. You know, I think it's not. Um, it's it's. Uh, it's certainly better than dictatorships and so on and fine we've you know that if uh, if that's what we have right now i'm i'm happy to survive under that system mm. um i don't think we're ever going to have some sort of like you know person who's going to rise to power who's going to just be the perfect president but, or the but perfect benevolent whatever. benevolent yeah. dictator it's, yeah. it's just never going to happen you know there's always uh, humans are too complex and there are um there are too many bad elements and often as technical people we tend to design systems thinking only about the good people mm. uh, you know we, we believe in like the generally benevolent nature we don't assume humans. someone's going to weaponize the internet yeah yeah well, and yeah. and yet they have they absolutely have facebook has been weaponized to the point where it can influence uh, world politics well then let me ask you this let me ask the question in a different way i mean we are we're at a pace of technological evolution that's 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 bewildering and, and and we've been on this arc for a long time, you know, ever since we we started with technology. But we've reached the point where it's just, I mean, there are so many, there's so much innovation every single day in so many industries. It's almost impossible to keep up. Um, has all this technology and specifically digital, when we look at like social media um, <clears throat> and the ability of someone like you to have a, a a global audience if he chooses to have, is has this been good for the world? I think so. I think it's it's highlighted things um, where that that were other, otherwise shrouded in darkness, mm. and I think that it's definitely organisations like WikiLeaks and so on love them or hate them, um, and and they are definitely polarising. Yes. One thing that has been good is they have provided a platform 
for the exposure of information. Mm. And the reality is information wants to be free. People can try cover things up, they can try hide things under the rug, and, and eventually those things come out. And certainly everyone has secrets, I have secrets, mm. and, and you know, there's some secrets I hope I take to my grave, and that's fine. But the, you know, the reality is that those platforms exist for those secrets to come out. Yes. And some of that has been damaging to individuals, but good for the world. And I think that that's really the, the coming of the information age. Mm. At the same time, it's also led to, to, to interesting ways of manipulating information, ways of presenting information which um, are, you know, they appear to be leaks, they appear to be, you know, uh, bringing things to light, but it's just done in a specific way that is good for one organization or one country or one mm. person. With an agenda. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, there's, there's, a few, there's a few views about the world right now. I mean, you have people like Steven Pinker who are on, you know, according to their research and by every measurement, the world is better by every, every imaginable standard. The world is better today than it has been um, in terms of our ability to overcome disease, to overcome uh, uh, financial issues. You know, the, the world is better. Um, then there are others who look around and they just go, you know, the world's a complete fuck up. And then, you know, the, where are we going to go to from here? Uh, where, where, where do you kind of sit on that scale? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I definitely think that the, there's no doubt that there have been improvements. Mm. You know, you can't deny them. Mm. I think that the, the problem is that we, we sometimes live in a bit of a microcosm where we're like, the, the improvements are visible to me, and yet the man on the street might not have the same view. Mm. And, and even if mortality rates and so on um, have been improved, like like mm. drastically does it affect the guy that's living in in a shack yes you know does it affect north the, the people of north korea you know does it affect um women living in the middle east you know i, I mean it, it might eventually but that impact is not being felt right now and i think that that's really the the <coughs> it, it might be a perception problem but that's the world that we're living in so i've 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 had a view which which i, I felt very strong about but i've now come to challenge it within myself because I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure of you know there are global problems that need to be solved Pro, you know problems of infrastructure problems of of uh, wealth and so you know country like South Africa where there's a lot of poverty where there's a lot of unemployment and I've had the view when I saw you know the rise of Google and Amazon and Facebook and I went and you know and, and Google desperately wants every citizen in the world to be to have internet access as does Facebook and and I was looking at this and went, you know what, maybe the world's great problems can be solved by private enterprise because there's the, there's the will and, there's, and they've got the access to technology, whereas governments and municipal, municipalities, they're so bogged down by, by whatever that yeah. they just can't move forward. So I went, you know what, it's Google and Facebook and others that are going to save the world because they're going to bring this technology for the good of everybody. And then you look at what's happening with Facebook and with, you know, maybe Google's become too good, big for its own good, maybe. And you start to wonder about that. And I don't know, but somehow there has to be, how does technology solve the world's problem? Because it can. Yeah. But how do we get it to do it? I think that the, the, the problem is that there are two problems, really. The first is that things do get to a point, a, a company will get mm. to a point where it's too big to really do good, um, to unilaterally do good. Mm. 
It might want to unilaterally do good, but it's always going to push the boundaries. Mm. There is no company that is that can categorically say that they don't do that. And I think one of the best examples of this are pharmaceutical companies. Pharmaceutical companies answer to their shareholders. And so they might initially be set up to do good, to save lives, but they're answering their sh to their shareholders, which means that they do a bunch of research, they find a cure, and then they need to now produce medication and price it at such a point where that medication makes them profit. And they want to maximize that profit, <clears throat> which sometimes means doing less further study, less further research, pricing drugs um, out of uh, the, the accessibility mm. of ordinary citizens. Now that misalignment of incentives sucks because it means that a company set up to save lives is now not already in the, the, the business of saving lives mm. once they get to a certain size. And the second big problem there as well is the people with the tanks and the guns are not private enterprise. Mm. They're still governments. And so there's a point at which a private enterprise can accomplish so much, but unless they you know, start their own militia, there's, there's a limit to what they can accomplish. Sure. No, it's a, that's a that, that is a very good point. I think the the question. I mean, we were talking just a moment ago about Apple's just reached a trillion dollars, um, and and I do think that there's. I mean, you've mentioned shareholders. It's not just pharmaceuticals. Every, uh, you know, Facebook is now being sued by a bunch of its shareholders because yeah. you know Facebook's trying to course correct. We think, um, and and that's going to involve a loss of revenue or a loss of profit. And of course, the shareholder goes, "Well, that's no good for me. Yeah. Might be good for the world, but it ain't good for me." And maybe that model needs a a rethink. Where yeah. you're, because uh, yeah, how much good can you do when you've got a shareholder saying, "Okay, I need I need an extra one and a half points on my yeah. <laughs> on my return." Well, well, that's it. And how can you go to a point where you're big enough to make a, a global difference if you don't have shareholders that have put in mm. the money and taken the risk to get you to that point? So it's a complete catch twenty two, and I. I don't see an immediate solution. Mm. Um, I don't see a way that that as human beings we can we can figure our way out of that. Mm. You know, um, th that said, uh, you you like I don't know what the future holds. Sure. You know, I've, I'm I have some idea that we're going to we're going to try and continue to improve things, and that's good. I don't you know I don't think that we should sit and be pessimistic and mm. think that like. The world's falling apart, so why don't I just sit in my corner and cry? But at the end of the day, I think there are limits to what we can accomplish. And I think if we're pragmatic about them, then maybe that's a little bit better than mm. this eternal optimism, which is <laughs> largely unrealistic. Yes. Okay, well, we don't know what the future holds, but what's, the, what, what's your grand plan? What's the, where do you go to from here? So there's a little island in the South Pacific. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, you know, I like building things. I, think I mean, are you are you living your life to a grand plan? As I guess my question, rather than, hey, listen, this is interesting now, and I'll keep playing. You know, it's it's the Lego I'm building now, um, and you're saying, what's the future? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if there's a, big, a bigger, better yeah. Lego that comes along. I mean, <laughs> is there a grand plan, or is it kind of let's just keep rolling and do stuff as long as it's interesting? No, I think I think that there is to some degree a grand plan. Um, I want to continue to be impactful. Mm. And I think that one of the ways that I, I can be impactful and have been impactful is job creation in South Africa. Mm. Um, you know, we, we clearly have a problem here with, um, no, I mean, our education system's a mess, mm. but we have a problem with jobs. So mm. with all of the stuff that I set up, 
um, I'm always looking at ways of creating employment opportunities mm. um, across the board, you know, but, but uh, primarily my focus right now is on creating opportunities for um, people who are experienced and who are really good at what they do because mm. I think that we run the risk of a brain drain of, of the smartest minds in the country leaving because of lack of opportunity. Mm. So I'm trying to create opportunity there and then have that trickle down um, you know, to, to people who have not had uh, opportunities for education and so on. Um, and that's the best that I can do right now. You know, that's, that's all that I can do to be impactful. Mm. I think that's a, uh, and maybe it's a good play, we'll, we'll sort of close on this. I, I, I think you've raised a very important point. Um, I was at a roundtable discussion a couple of days ago where the topic was, will IoT, the Internet of Things, is it, is it going to risk jobs in South Africa? Will it cut jobs if we automate things or bring in the Internet of Things? And it was interesting as I was listening to the conversation, and my thought was, we're in the middle of a job apocalypse right now. I think yeah. we have somewhere close to 60% youth unemployment rate. You know, so we might worry about what technology is going to do in the future. We have an issue right now. And technology and enterprise and opportunity and entrepreneurship can go some way to solving those problems. Uh, we, the future is not in saving the jobs we have, because it's not enough. It's not enough now. Um, so, so I think that I think that's an important point. So, how? I, mean, I don't even know if there's a, there's a question around that. I think you know you stated that's you know you want to be impactful in helping to create the opportunities for experienced people. You know, someone who goes to university has gets a degree and is unemployed, um, or has has worked in an industry and now needs further work. So, how? I don't know. What do you, what are your thoughts on how, how do people get involved in something like this? How do they? Yeah do something to be more impactful. So, so maybe an example of, of where I think that, that there is massive scope in South Africa to be impactful is um, there's this whole land reclamation thing that's mm. happening. And land reclamation primarily seems to be focused around farming. Mm. You know, they, they want to get farming land back and they want to put people on those farms. The problem is that a lot of that thinking is based around um, the idea of manual labor. Mm. And manual labor is going away mm. we are i mean already recently um in the past six months a farm in china has performed a, a full end-to-end -end automated run from getting the land ready preparing the land um you know tilling the land doing all of that planting the the, the seeds having everything grow prune maintain manage um harvest the crop package the crop and have it ready for distribution all automated with Jesus. one guy sitting in a control center. Now, now I, saw, I, saw, I saw a great quote the other, or someone told me a great quote yesterday. It said, the factory of the future will have no people. There'll be one person and there'll be a dog. The dogs, the, the only reason the man is there is to feed the dog. And the only reason the dog is there is to make sure the man doesn't touch the machines. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's true. Yes. Now, now, if you think about it from that perspective, if you think about that, that automated world, what are we going to need in order for that automated world to survive. Mm. Well, we're going to need mechanics. We're going to need system experts. We're going to need people who are ready to be trained on, um, you know, drones and, uh, and, and automated systems and that sort of thing. So the, the world is going to become a, a mix from a skills perspective, a mix of mechanics maintaining the hardware and, and software and electronics people. And so, so I'm sort of thinking like, if that's where we're going to go in South Africa, how do we catapult that? Mm. How do we 
take instead of taking the these people out of their situation and giving them land and then saying yes the keys to a tractor and yes a bag of soil and mm. and whatever go go forth and farm what if we take them away and we educate them and we treat we we train them on all these systems so that as those automated systems start to get deployed as they start to get rolled out now they can go and they can they can work and they can earn a living because those farms are just going to be automated and it doesn't matter who owns the land mm. it's going to make no difference mm. but that job creation has to start now absolutely and, and that's the gulf we live with is that there are solutions i mean there are solutions given enough will given a bit of money well given quite a lot of money these things could be done right now but uh, i guess the the we we get a bit overwhelmed by the gulf between that and the reality of where government sits now all right fine well listen i I, thank you very much for taking the time again i've I've enjoyed this discussion someone who's kind of out in the world doing it and 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 living in a world that is a new normal uh, that is different from the from the world of the 80s and the 90s and well even the 2000s and uh yeah and good luck i i know you're off to panama to tell the government there how they should be dealing with uh cryptocurrency and all that so you don't have to get into detail on that but Good luck with that, but thank you. Thanks, Thanks very much for having me. Awesome, mate. Thank, thank you, you too. Cheers. <laughs>